Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass Podcast. I am your host, Lee McEwen, and today with us we have Nicole Yang, Patriots beat writer for the Boston Globe. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Liam. Oh, of course, of course. Love to, you know, talk to a little, talk a little Patriots action. Really excited to learn about kind of how you got to where you are. So, as always, we're going to get started by Nicole. How about you just take us through kind of your journey through sports media from when you first realized that this is what you wanted to do to how you ended up at the Globe writing for about the past? So, I don't think sports media or journalism ever really crossed my mind as a potential career path in college. Um, I went to Amherst College in Western Mass, and I grew up in a Connecticut suburb, so neither of those two places are very exciting. Um, Amherst is in a very rural area, and my by my senior year, I was interested in pursuing like something outside of college, like I wanted some experience in the city. So I was looking at internship opportunities in Boston, applied to like a whole host of different things. And I think ultimately it came down to um, like a PR internship with Dunkin' Donuts and um, this co-op at the Globe. And so I went with that. Um, while at college, I was on the school paper and I enjoyed writing and things like that, but it just never crossed my mind as a potential career. So um, I got this co-op though, and for three days a week, I would drive into Boston and go into the Globe office. At the time, it was on Morrissey Boulevard mm-hmm. and um, just basically like work the sports desk. So I would do a lot of like aggregating and um, social posts, viral, things like that. And after six months, they asked if I wanted to do another co-op. And I said, sure. I didn't have a job at that point. Mm-hmm. And I just graduated. So I did another round of co-op. And through that, I started to do a little bit more reporting, a little bit more, a little bit more sort of out in the field, per se, um, less like at the desk. And then after that, they asked if I wanted to be like a full-time staff writer, just doing like GA stuff. And, um, so I, I was into it and like, I thought that the first year had gone really well. And then after sort of covering all Boston sports and helping out, um, with like the sort of the random stuff that comes like when college game day came here for BC, like I was doing that. Um, then ultimately Nora Princiati left the globe for the ringer and they were looking to fill her spot on the Patriots beat. And I ended up um, getting that gig. So it's been about like two weeks on the Patriots, but I've been at the Globe, if you include my co-op, like four years. So um, yeah, there's a lot to do in Boston. So it's been really fun and exciting. Yeah, either the Globe or Dunkin' Donuts PR sounds about right for a college kid. It's college. Uh, when you were at Amherst and you were writing for the school paper there, did you do any sports or was the when you started this co-op and ended up at the desk on your first experience with uh, news coverage for sports in particular? I was in the sports department. Um, I covered the men's tennis team. Tennis is actually like one of my favorite sports to watch, but in terms of writing about it, especially in Boston, there's not really a market for it. Yeah. Um, but I covered the tennis team um, and also helped with like layout and things like that. Okay. So when, uh, so it wasn't really that big of an adjustment for you to kind of shift into writing about things other than tennis and whatnot. Right. 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 
And then, uh, so what, and you said you did like kind of general stuff and now that you have kind of the benefit of hindsight, was there anything in particular that stuck out to you when you were doing general assignment stuff that kind of helped you prepare for making this jump from, you know, the GA to beat writing? I think just being open to every assignment, um, like even if I didn't feel comfortable, like hockey, for example, I am not very well versed in the rules or how it all works, but when the Bruins made it to the Stanley Cup, they needed additional help on the beat. And I think you just have to say yes and sort of learn on the fly and do your research. And um, that sort of gave me confidence in that like, okay, if I can like write about hockey without really knowing a lot about hockey, or if I can go to like full disclosure, go to college game day and not know a single player on BC's football roster and like figure it out. Like that gives you confidence, I think, in other situations, especially when you're on a beat where you do have the benefit of being able to like contextualize things and just follow one team and um, cover like the Patriots. I think that gave me, I guess, confidence, I'll say, in that like you can do it basically. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, in the conversations I've had with other reporters who were on a similar beat to you in terms of the track they took, it seems like the general assignment stuff was a real trial by fire for most of them. And it seems like you would probably agree with that, right? Definitely. And like, there are moments in general assignment where you love it. Like I love basketball and being able to cover the Celtics, like mm -hmm. it's like seamless, but then you get thrown to like a gymnastics tournament and it's like, okay, what's this? <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine how much uh, that, how I might juggle that, but <laughs> here you are. And so when Nora left to go to the ringer, when this job came up is, did you realize kind of put those pieces together and you immediately were like, I want that job or kind of how did it, how did it come together there? So I think when I was starting to think about my career, because it had been almost four years at that point, and I was like, okay, what exactly do I want to do next? Um, I feel like a beat job made the most sense and just having the opportunity to dive into a team and to, I really like to tell um, like off field features as well. And so when you're assigned to one team, you can, learn more about a player and build better relationships and things like that. So I definitely wanted to be on a beat. And when this opportunity came up, like it's, it was sort of like a no brainer, yeah. um, especially because at the globe, um, we're so fortunate to have multiple people on each beat. So it's like, I'm not responsible for um, like Ben Boland uh, offers NFL and league coverage and mm -hmm. um Jim McBride breaks a lot of news. So it, there's, a real, there's a lot of flexibility in what I can do and the types of stories that I can tell. So um, I was really excited about the opportunity. So yeah, it's only been two weeks, but kind of how going off what you were describing what Jim and Ben both do, how do you see yourself kind of fitting into the dynamic of Patriots coverage of the globe going forward? So I think that they want me to be telling sort of like those off field stories. Mm -hmm. um, like while I was in the GA role, I wrote a story about Jawan Williams investing um, the bulk of his paycheck. I wrote a story about the rookies dealing with loneliness. On the Celtics, I played Settlers of Catan with Grant Williams. So like those types of things I think are what they're looking for. The only problem is the pandemic totally um, complicates that because access isn't that great and a lot of these types of questions are hard to get off in a Zoom. And if you get them off in a Zoom, by the time you wanna write the story, most people have tweeted it. So it's 
that's the challenging part but I think ultimately they want this role to be more like um I do have some football assignments obviously like after each game I have to write but I think that they are interested in those um like non-football stories about the players yeah it makes plenty of sense and I mean human interest stories are often the most fun to write for journalists even if though like you said with the pandemic right now it's just hard to burn build those personal relationships and that sort of thing. But just in terms of big picture stuff, I mean, covering, you know, no matter what you're doing, covering the Patriots for the Boston Globe is a big freaking deal. And you, you know, you went to Amherst College and you totally get that. Were you nervous at all? I mean, you know, this is a huge job, huge beat that has a lot of really great writers that have come through it. So, I mean, how are you feeling going into it on your first day and that sort of thing? No, definitely. Especially as someone that again wasn't super like journalism now that I'm in it I love it and I'm really excited and grateful for all the opportunities but it wasn't necessarily like my dream growing up like I it just wasn't on my radar um so it's sort of like unreal and Duncan Robinson was there's a story about him how he asked like Eric Spolstra like do you ever feel um like you're an imposter do you know anything about imposter syndrome and I think that's definitely true it's like you um you look around and you see who has had this job or you look at the patriots and just the opportunity and it's easy to get overwhelmed but um try not to think about that too much and try to like trust my reporting and sort of my experience and but well also I guess not succumbing to like group think and like I want to make sure that I bring something different to the beat or offer some sort of creativity and um and not too easily influenced by like the work of others if that makes sense oh yeah it makes plenty of sense you want to have your own unique voice on this beat especially given your your uh your corner of coverage in particular feels like that the unique voice is one of the more important parts of it as opposed to just writing gamers or pressers or what have you and it's you know been two weeks I mean how you feeling how you doing how uh, how has the first couple weeks on the job been for you I mean so far so good the access is still just like a major bummer yeah. um we've been able to go to Gillette to watch the home games but you still can't go into the locker room all the press availability is via zoom and that's just uh, a bummer but I get why we have to do it obviously but it, it especially stinks because Cam Newton is just so exciting and even through the zoom availabilities he just is so compelling to me and it just stinks that we can't sort of see that in the locker room or see that up close and um so just trying to navigate that but um I mean, they are, the Patriots are always a story, and um, this year is no different. Absolutely. One thing that I'm personally quite curious about, because I, you know, a little unlike you, I grew up, like, dreaming about writing about the Patriots, and obviously I ended up in sports media, just a little different of a niche, but I would imagine that I would be, like, freaking out before my first press conference with Bill Belichick. So, I mean, did you have any nerves there? I mean, was there anything feeling there? Um, well, I guess the good thing about being GA is you sort of like dip your toes in the water before you get like thrown in. So I had done a few things with um, the Patriots before and um, Bill and I had spoken before. So th that's good. But I guess there definitely is a bit of, I feel like before, because I was GA, I think I've had like less pressure on myself, if that made sense. Like, 
I don't know, I could come in, ask a question, and if it was bad, I wouldn't be back for like two weeks. But now it's like, okay, I feel like I need to, um, I don't know, I, I, I worry about that a little bit more. Like, okay, if I ask a question, I'm going to be back tomorrow. So I need to make sure that tomorrow it, and the next day and the next day and the next day for the next exactly. you know, 17 weeks and on and on and on. Um, that's, yeah, that's all really interesting. And I think that, you know, a lot of what you said makes a lot of sense. And what I am curious about, you know, overall, you said that sports journalism wasn't really something that you thought you were going to go into. So in an alternate universe where you didn't end up being a sports journalist, what direction do you think you might have taken? I'm not really sure. I mean, I, growing up, I was very interested in like math and sciences and thought maybe I would go into like medical research. At one point I wanted to be a pediatrician. So perhaps something in the medical field, but then I also could have seen myself doing something boring, like consulting. I, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. And um, now that like I have done this job for the short time that I have, like three or four years, mm -hmm. I can't picture myself doing like a nine to five. Um, so I, I don't know. I was just curious. Yeah, I don't think I wouldn't imagine you would spend a lot of brain power thinking about not a lot of bandwidth thinking about what you might have done if you took that Dunkin Donuts PR internship, you know. <laughs> that yeah, I mean, I guess during the pandemic, we've had a lot of time to that's true reflect and think. So <laughs> I, I did I was thinking about that actually recently, but I, I don't know. Well, you know, regardless, here you are, you're on the Patriots beat for the Boston Globe two weeks in. Now moving on to a little bit of Patriots talk. The Patriots are two and one, looking pretty, pretty good. No real Tom Brady hangover here. But uh, through the opening weeks of the season, we already mentioned Cam Newton and how electric he is through the camera, but through the field, kind of what have you seen in these first opening weeks that you feel are encouraging for the next, you know, couple of weeks going forward? Yeah, so it's only been three games, but I think Cam has shown, one, that he can still run the ball. And the Patriots have said that they don't want that to be a central part of their game plan, which is good in theory. But then when you see them against the Seahawks and not be able to get really anything in the running game going, you start to wonder like, okay, like they don't want Cam to be the central or the lead rusher for every game, but is that possible? And then you start off against the Raiders and Sony Michelle's not really doing that much. And J.J. Taylor is the guy that's getting all the carries. And you're like, okay, is this what it's going to be? But then Sonny Michelle goes off for like two career runs, 38 and 48 yards. Rex Burkhead scores three touchdowns. And you're like, okay, like they can do this without Cam. Like Cam didn't have that great of a game on Sunday. So I think they're just showing, like they're all complementing each other really well. And like Cam has shown he can throw the deep ball still. Julian Edelman at age 31 had a career yard receiving night um, in week two. And like, I think all of the components are there. It's just a matter of game planning because they have the toughest schedule in, yeah. the, in the league. So it's just a matter of game planning and executing each night. But through three weeks, I feel like we've seen flashes of everything that you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's been very fun to watch at the very least, especially that Seahawks game, even if they couldn't get anything going on the ground. I personally felt that, you know, just being in it at the end was great because we saw how cooking Russell Wilson was and continues to be. And so that sort of brings me to my next point, which is that 
The secondary was really supposed to be the strength of this Patriots defense, especially given that Donta Hightower opted out. Chung, I think, was the only secondary player that ended up opting out or didn't come back from last year. And so far, they haven't been awful by any means. You know, by no measure have they been bad, but they also haven't quite been that shutdown unit that I think a lot of people were expecting going into the season. So kind of from your perspective, what do you see as, you know, are, are there any large problems at play here? Is it just kind of, you know, not everybody's clicking at the same time? I mean, what's exactly going on? Yeah, I don't know. You would, like you said, you would think that that would be their strength because they have basically everybody returning. Stephon Gilmore is the reigning defensive player of the year. But I think, I mean, Bill Belichick, according, he would not confirm this, but according to Aqib Tlaib, he got a phone call being like, hey, do you want to come guard tight ends this season? And Tlaib took a look at the schedule and was like, no, thank you. And so that's, I think, their, clearly that's on Bill Belichick's mind. And you saw it Sunday with Darren Waller. They were able to shut him down using sort of a mix of everyone. Like, I think the McCourties were on him, Jawan Williams, Jonathan Jones. Like, everybody got a, an assignment on Darren Waller at some point. But that, I think, is his focus moving forward. Like, they're going to have to face George Kittle if he's healthy, Travis Kelsey next week. So it definitely seems to be like a by-committee um, yeah. approach. But it's like, okay, can you – is that, like, sustainable? Like, it worked for this game, but also the Raiders aren't, like, that good. Yeah. Like, the Chiefs have multiple weapons, so even if you take out, like, Travis Kelsey, I don't know if that's um, going to be good enough. Yeah, definitely. The tight end – I mean, yeah, like you said, the Raiders are – they're a fine team. They're a good team even, but they're not exactly Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey out there, so – It'll be big. I personally thought going into the season that it was going to be Johan Williams' gig to cover those tight ends just because he's so much bigger than most of the other cornerbacks they have on the roster. But, you know, Bill doesn't like slotting a guy into one role, as we've seen over a lot over the years. So I think that answer overall makes a lot of sense, and they certainly have a lot going for them. But in terms of your own personal perspective, which game are you most excited to cover in the upcoming weeks here? Because they have, like you said, it's, they have a loaded schedule, which means that there's going to be a lot of really good teams. And hopefully that would mean a lot of really good games. So from a journalist perspective, which one are you really keeping an eye on? I mean, this Sunday has to be exciting for them. I think the Ravens game has to be, I mean, I'm going to end up listing all the games, but <laughs> like, I just think that they play a lot of compelling teams and then they also face basically every mobile quarterback, which are the exciting quarterbacks, in my opinion, like they'll probably beat the Texans, but Deshaun Watson is really fun to watch and they'll probably beat the Arizona Cardinals, but Kyler Murray is really fun to watch. So, and I guess in terms of games, then that leaves me the Ravens and the Chiefs, because I feel like those will be competitive games with very compelling players. Yeah, and compelling storylines and all, all the fun stuff that really check the boxes for enjoyable games for people to watch and enjoyable games for reporters to cover. So like we've been talking about, you know, this schedule is loaded. It's ridiculous. And I mean, personally, I just can't really tab what the expectation should be for the Patriots come season then. Like they're definitely good enough to be a playoff team of some type. But given the schedule, I don't know if they're good enough to win the AFC East just because of how that goes out and how good the Bills have looked. But also it's the Patriots, and every time that you think that they're down, they're definitely not. So, I mean, where are you sitting right now three weeks in as far as what we might be looking at at the end of the year? Yeah, I guess going back to your last question, the, the two Bills games are going to be really telling because those are divisional games too. And even though 
typically the Bills are in off because it's the Patriots and the Bills. I guess Josh Allen is one of those mobile quarterbacks I was just talking about, and it should be interesting. I mean, I think the Patriots will make the playoffs, and I think once they make the playoffs, you just never know what can happen, especially in the NFL when it's not like a seven-game series. Literally anything can happen in one game. Like, I think people always say anything is possible in sports, especially in Boston, because Kevin Garnett was the one to say it. But I feel like in the NBA, generally the higher seed wins out. The bubble has shown different things, but I think that's because of the circumstances. But in a traditional, like, home road best of seven playoff series, I think the better team generally wins out. But in football, really anything can happen because it's just one game. It's a much more, like, fluky sport. Yeah, any given Sunday and all that stuff. And it's even going to be – that's even more extreme this year because they're adding a playoff spot. So, I mean, my personal envision is that we probably end up splitting the games with the Bills. Oh, we. It's that verbal tick again. <laughs> the Patriots end up splitting the game with splitting the games with the Bills, and then it ends up being pretty close to the divisional thing. But they end up – probably end up as a wild card team just because, you know, I like the Patriots and think they're a good team this year. But Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are just in another category of right now. So it'll be really interesting to watch. But and now I'm going to ask the classic question and the one that everybody's going to be thinking about for the next 16 weeks. And I think that we're not going to get an answer to until March. But insofar as Cam Newton's viability is a long-term answer here, what are your thoughts on that and the likelihood that he might end up signing on long-term for the program here in New England? I mean, it's a tough question. I hate to give like a lame answer, but I think – it's funny, before Cam arrived in New England, there was a lot of buzz about Jared Stidham, and I don't know if he's injured or what the deal is, but he hasn't been active for the first three games. And so if they really think Jared Stidham is the guy, maybe there's not a lot of um, pressure to sign Cam to a big contract. And even though Cam is saying that money doesn't really matter to him right now and he's not all about the bag, I'm sure he would like to get paid. And Bill Belichick is all about value. I'm sure he's not looking to overpay a 32-year-old quarterback with a brief history of injury problems, as good as Cam has been so far. So I don't know. I guess it depends on maybe where they think Jared Stidham is going to be. Maybe they want to draft another quarterback. I think it just depends on how this season shapes out. But I, I have already accepted that I think it's a one-year thing. I would be surprised to see Cam come back. And that's, I think, why I'm extra bummed that we aren't in the locker room because I don't think that he will be there next year. Yeah, the covering somebody like Cam Newton definitely feels like a once in a journalistic lifetime experience. So at least you get something, but it's not, you know, definitely not everything, which is unfortunate. I, yeah, I think he said today, you probably saw it on there. He said on the Greg Hill show, it was a business trip for him this year, which I don't think indicates necessarily that it means that he's leaving as soon as the business trip is over with, but it certainly, you know, it's reinforces the mindset that he's had this whole, no, every question he's answered from the media this whole season so far is just, I'm here to play well and win games. And that's about it. It's about money, not respect or, or the other way around rather. It's about respect, not money and all that good stuff. So it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. And I just firmly think, I mean, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it, but I firmly think that nobody has any idea what's really going to happen. Yeah, I would agree with that. Anyway, so now on to the last part of the interview. Here's some more open-ended fun questions. Here's one that's very important. I'm curious to hear your answer. What's your go-to place to eat in Boston? Go-to place to eat in Boston. Oh, man. I feel like this is, I have 
haven't been out to eat in like six months. So this is gonna take me a bit. Notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> I really for like something quick and healthy, have you been to Life Alive? I have not. So there's two locations and it's like um they have bowls and smoothies and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's really healthy for like lunch and things like that. But for like dinner, I mean anywhere in the north end. Yes, that's actually exactly, I was talking to a Red Sox writer for this podcast last week, and that's exactly what he said, was just kind of the North End, which is a very acceptable answer, as anybody who's been there can tell you. Uh, Next question, and this could be from at any point in your writing career back at Amherst, GA, current beat even, uh, what's the, if one stands out to you, what's a favorite story of yours that you've written? Probably, I have two. One is the Settlers of Catan with Grant Williams. Um, I had never played Settlers of Catan. I had never really heard of it before Grant arrived, and it's just his favorite board game. So I asked him if he would teach me how to play, and so I got two other reporters that know how to play, and we all sat down for like two hours, three hours, and played this game, and it's so much fun. And now, Mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic, I've played it, with my other friends who know how to play and it has become like one of my favorite board games and I had no clue about it prior to Grant so I really enjoyed that one and then also with the Celtics I wrote a story about Jalen Brown and sort of his interest in reforming education and sort of him discussing the inequalities he sees in within the education system And that was really special because he was telling me about this professor that he had, or sorry, he was telling me about this book he read while he was at Cal Berkeley. And I mentioned the book and sort of its influence in the story. And the author ended up reaching out to me, who then I connected with Jalen and Jalen invited her to a game. So it was cool to see that come full circle. Yeah, that's super awesome. Um, And then what's your... Favorite part about working for the Boston Globe? <laughs> um, probably the coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everybody is very um, like supportive, welcoming, fun. Nora, who I guess no longer works for the Globe, but we formed a great friendship. Um, I love my assignment editors, the editors. I think just the relationships at the company are. Um, journalism can be like a pretty cutthroat or competitive industry sometimes so it's nice to have the support of like such a big staff yeah that makes sense I've heard a lot of you know growing up in the Boston area obviously I heard a lot about it and I mean I even went to BC High literally right across the street from the offices at the Globe so you know that's confirms exactly what I figured about it you know just wanted to be sure (laughs) even Dan Shaughnessy like everyone I think has like um some I don't know view of him especially with the way that he like <clears throat> rails like the teams but I, I think that Dan's great like it's everyone's so fun and a joy yeah Shaughnessy's gone through the full cycle of sports writers where he's just been around for so long that close your eyes pointed a year on the calendar it's like this is a year Shaughnessy was hated this is a year Shaughnessy was loved it's just yeah. part of the game it's part of the game um so what what's something about this job that you feel like other people don't know or they don't really understand um I guess there's a lot more waiting 
Um, mm -hmm. Now the only difference is we're waiting in the comfort of our own home. So you can sort of multitask, but um, like Cam, for example, the other day, his media availability was scheduled to start at 4.15 and it didn't start till 5.30. But typically that would be at Gillette. So you're just sitting in the press conference room waiting. And like, same with Celtics practice. They would say media availability starts at 12.30 and it's 2 p.m. and we're about to go down. So I think there's just a lot more waiting than maybe people realize. And um, that's, I mean, not a complaint. I get it. They're athletes. They have meetings and practices run long. It's not really a, a sport where, or it's not really a profession where you can like clock in and clock out at specific times, but um, there's just a lot more waiting. And I guess the reverse of that, sometimes they'll say it will start at two and then you're on your way there and you're already seeing like quotes show up on Twitter because they started at yeah. like 1.30. So yeah, time is of the essence. <laughs> Sum it up neatly, time is of the essence. <laughs> and then finally, uh, is if there's anything, is there something that you wish you knew back when you were just starting out on the, that co-op now that you have uh, like four or five years behind you? I mean, just to like not take yourself so seriously and like I try not to do that but I think um like this is all just in good fun like I think just to remind yourself that um there's no need to get like super worked up over small things like these are sports yeah that we're covering and it's it should be a lot of fun it is a lot of fun and I think sometimes um media members can just take themselves a little too seriously and it's it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I do strive to not take myself too seriously. I hope that came across in this year podcast. <laughs> All right, Nicole. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it again. And I really thought that your answers were really interesting and insightful. And thank you for sharing your journey with us and our listeners. Thanks so much for having me, Liam. Of course, of course. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning in to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I'm your host, Lee McEwen, signing off.